Hello, folks, and welcome to the Knickknack Podcast. This will be season four, or four, season fourteen, episode four, and I'm calling this "Just Listen." Um, grab your favorite beverage, and we are going to be talking with Danielle Allen, a black woman organizer who wishes to share her story. And I think the best thing I can do is to amplify her voice. So. We'll come back and uh, we'll do that um, and make sure you're you're ready to relax a little bit and listen and be receptive. All right, so. Danielle, it's a pleasure to have you here. I thank you so much for your time. Um, I I really kind of want to, uh, one, say please feel free to share anything that, that you feel you need or want to share. Um, but uh, the root question I want, I want to hopefully um, explore with you today is... Um, what messages, as a black woman organizer, um, in this time, in this space right now, um, do you want to share and make sure are heard by people? Yeah, uh, I want to thank you, Nick, for um, using your platform to amplify black voices. And I want to thank those of you that are listening to, to be willing to listen. Um I am relatively new to Chico. I'm originally from the East Coast. Um, I moved out here about five years ago originally and spent some time in Oakland. But when I came out here, um, I didn't know anything about Chico. I didn't really know much about um, this part of California. Um, And, you know, I was kind of coming off the heels of protests and deep feelings of uh, anger and frustration over the the deaths of, uh, you know, Mike Brown and Tamir Rice and Eric Gardner. And um, there was a lot of, a lot of the movement was taking place in major cities and New York was one of them. So I was very much active in New York and um, coming to Chico was a huge uh, culture shock. I can imagine. Yes, it it was very um, different to me, Um, you know, not only in just the scale and the sizing of the town, but the very obvious and clear um, racial makeup and ethnic makeup of Chico. Um, And that was really alarming to me. It was very unfamiliar. (laughs) Um, Go ahead. I I, I was going to say, yeah, it's it's not a very culturally diverse town to say the least and it it's definitely I, I i i can't imagine the culture shock i can't imagine right so you know it was a huge shift and um i was working for a while i'm a speech pathologist and i was working at orville hospital and um you know back in 2015 we were getting kind of continuous traumatic images and videos of seeing black bodies being brutalized by 
police. It was Freddie Gray. It was Philandro Castle. It was, um, you know, Sandra Bland and um, the killing at, at the church in Charleston. Just specifically, I remember the day that that happened and I had to go into work in Oroville, the only black woman, I'd say the only black woman working at that hospital. And um, the day that that happened, there had been multiple other uh, shootings and killings. And at this point, I could barely get out of bed. You know, I was so traumatized. I was so devastated. I was so tired. And I remember going into work and it was as if nothing had happened. No one, no one seemed bothered. It was clear to me, no one, if they knew about it, they were not bothered. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a quarter of them or excuse me, three fourths of them didn't even know that these things had been happening. And so um, kind of adjusting to recognizing that I'm surrounded by people who don't care. They don't care about this brutality. Um, It doesn't affect them, or at least outwardly, it doesn't affect them. And I was devastated. And I went to work and I treated my patients and I was so heavy with the feeling of being isolated and on this island with my blackness, with my pain, with my trauma, with my frustration, with the same hurt that I feel that any human being with a beating heart uh, and blood pumping through their veins should be upset about, should be outraged, should be disgusted, should be sickened. And they simply weren't. Um, and so it, it really kind of, it really solidified for me that I'm living largely in a community that are unaffected by the traumas and the pain and the brutality that my people face every day. Um, what's more shocking and painful for me personally and I know for a lot of folks in this community, is that these same instances and acts of brutality, of violence, of targeting is happening in this community. It has happened in this community. It continues to happen in this community. And uh, it's, it's disturbing. It's demoralizing. It's um, horrifying that people in this community that claim to love this community and claim that Chico is, you know, it's a great, quaint, peaceful, quiet town can idly sit by while people that look like me, people who are disenfranchised, people of color, black people, people with mental, um, physical disabilities, trans, queer um, folks are being brutalized. Um it, it it really speaks volumes to me um, that this is happening here. Chico's not immune. Chico is uh, Chico is a part of this macro structure of racism, of uh, police brutality, of um, segregation that we all know exist. But the same people that want to turn a blind eye to these century long institutions of racism, of um, enslavement, of oppression, are turning a blind eye to that same structure within their own community today. 
Yeah, I I I can really hear the the pain and and sorrow in your voice, and I I, I can't imagine. I just I can't imagine. I, I I spent the last broadcast kind of putting my feelings around it, but then I realized later it's like no, my feelings are something, but they are not. They are not what needs to be heard or needs to be seen here. Mm. And and you know more so, I appreciate you you know taking this time to amplify our voices right now because our our voices are often washed away, right? And there's this. Um, I think it's easy for a lot of folks to look at what they see on TV and to categorize black people as you know, fill in the blank, what they've been doing for centuries and centuries, violent, angry, all of these things. Um, but to not question or to not look at what has led up to black folks feeling this way and needing to, to revolt and needing to fight back and needing to stand up and putting their bodies on the line, you know, what has led up to this? And, you know, I want to be clear that this, the protests right now that are happening in Chico and happening otherwise are not, it's not the result of one killing, you know, it's not, we of course want to lift up George Floyd, we want to lift up um, Breonna Taylor, we want to lift up those that have, we've just observed being murdered by the police. And I think it's really important that we as human beings, you know, as, as Americans, uh, or as humans, more importantly, recognize the, the history, um, and recognize, you know, what has gone into this movement. Um, you know, this goes back to 1619, you know, there's, there's no way, um, from my perspective to, to, tease apart racism from these huge institutions that exist in this country because these institutions have been funded and backed and allowed to continue on due to racism and oppression. You know, the first police officers were slave, uh, runaway slave catchers. They were KKK members uh, once um, slavery was abolished. And I use air quotes when I say abolished. Right. So, you know, I, I think it's not only naive... And ignorant, I think it's dangerous to not recognize and not identify the degree to which racism bleeds into every institution in the U.S. And Chico is in no way immune to that whatsoever. Chico is a perfect example of that. Yeah, and I, 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 I feel like, and, and please don't let me step step on anything here, but I, I think. In a lot of ways, Chico is almost worse because it's got this facade of <clears throat> bedroom, suburbanite, perfect community, and that's mm-hmm. th- that makes it so much worse in in, in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know, I speaking for myself, I I live in a very thin margin of privilege, but even within my very thin margin of privilege. I'm not actively aware and working on these things when I say when I value myself as somebody that would do that and and you know which which is why again I come back to shut up and listen 
to the people mm -hmm. that, that want to speak right now and need to speak right now. And, you know, it's exactly what you're saying. It's, it's not, oh, suddenly, you know, George Floyd was brutally murdered and killed and the world erupts. It's 200, 300 years of brutality and murder was happening. And this was finally the straw that broke the camel's back, I think. Yeah, I'd say 400. <laughs> 400. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's all right. No, but you're absolutely right. I, 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 the, to me, the danger, um, the danger with this kind of idealized, um, community, um, this idealized America, um, the danger in that is people have kind of shifted um, their perspective, and it ends up they end up they end up being in this bubble, right? Right. This American dream of you know life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, freedom for all, all of these American ideals, and you know you, you can uh, you know come here and pick yourself up by your bootstraps, and you can become whatever you want. All of these words, right? That, right. Um, this country stands for, and Chico, of course, is a part of that. The, the danger in that is that when you're presented with something that counters that ideal, that those words, um, whether it's seeing a man with his, you know, a, a knee in his neck for nine minutes dying at the hands of a member of the institution that you cherish and value and is a part of your American ideal when you can look at you can look at that and be so dissociated with that is counter to what these american so-called american ideals are but it's the 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 cogn cognitive uh dissonance in that um that is really really dangerous and it's the same reason why folks um in the 17 1800s were able to have slaves being brutalized and killed and raped and slaughtered and destroyed and still go about your business and still, you know, go about, um, you know, following these American ideals and thinking this was the, the greatest country in the world, you know, that, that becomes really very dangerous. And so I think a lot of people hold very true and very desperately the American dream and, you know, all of this that is not applicable um, to many of us that are, are have historically and continue to be marginalized, um, they don't want their bubble burst because then they have to question, whoa, are we really the greatest country on earth? You know, whatever that means right. anyway. It's a crazy notion. Um, <laughs> um, people's People don't want their bubble burst of the American, so-called American dream. Um and so they have to dissociate from what they see. It, you're seeing it. You're observing this. You're witnessing it. You're watching men and women and children being brutalized, being destroyed, being killed. Um, how can you turn a blind eye to that? It's deep, deep, deep conditioning. It's deep um, disassociation. And it's a sickness. Um, and it's very obvious that that is here it's here it's here in this town because to me there's no way that this the the people of this town can continue to um claim chico as this you know as you put it this ideal 
city, this peaceful, beautiful city, all of this and that, um, with the knowledge of what Chicopedia has done, with the knowledge of what um, the government here has allowed to take place. There's no way, um, unless you're sick, and it's a sickness. It really is. It really, really is. And I I, I value your voice so much, and I, I value... I I just I really value it and I, I please if you have more to share please do because I, I I have nothing to contribute that that you, that that you in in relation to what you have to say. Well, thanks, Nick. Um, I want to say I want to add to that and um, I want to be clear that um, we need white people involved, right? I mean, this town most is mostly comprised of white humans. And so we do need the support of white folks in Chico that are upset by this or just to open their mind and open their eyes and open themselves and just to see and just to feel and just to empathize. There's a deep lack of empathy and there's a deep othering that is also preventing folks here from being able to see the pain and the hurt and the trauma that the Phillips family uh, is continuing to endure. Um, and, and others, I'm sorry, I can't name, but others that have lost their lives to police have been brutalized by the police here. Um, and just to understand or just to, just to demonstrate empathy to those of us that are marginalized, those of us that are pained those of us that are hurting we are we are human we're human just like you you know i the question comes up for me a lot you know to for those folks that are not bothered for those that are able to see this and to justify or to say you know oh well he was using a counterfeit 20 dollar bill or he shouldn't have resisted arrest or she shouldn't have opened her mouth or she should you know all of the, these arguments how on earth would you feel if your child endured this? How would you feel if your nine-year-old kid was shot by the police in their own home? How would that cause you to feel? Um, I mean, we are human. We are human like you, and all human beings should be outraged by this. You know, this is meant to be our country. This is meant to be a democracy. It's clearly not a democracy. We, Many of us know that. Many of us are aware of that. But the power of the people is important. And so if you, again, if you are a human with a beating heart, with blood pumping through your veins, you should be outraged. You should be hurting. You should weep and mourn for for human life, for human dignity, because it's been robbed and taken and abused by those in power on the backs of black folks, of uh, Latinx folks, of people of color, of marginalized folks for since the beginning of time of native folks since we came here. So you should all feel this. And, um, you know, just to kind of bring it from a macro level to a micro, I want to talk a little bit more about Chico, um, specifically in justice for Desmond. So, um, like I said, I'm, I'm relatively new to Chico. Um, I'm just getting myself more involved and familiarized, uh, you know, with, Desmond's case and what the work, I mean, these folks have been doing work for three years, for years. And so, um, you know, Desmond was brutally murdered 
in his home, in front of his father. So I ask those that are listening, how would, how, is there any way that you can empathize what that would be like to watch your child be murdered in front of you by police, totally unjustifiably? Um, the police that murdered Desmond are still working within the Chico PD. The police that murdered Desmond have not seen any repercussions. There's been no justice. There's been no shift. There's been no change in this department since these men murdered a young man in his home in front of his father, totally unjustifiably. Um, to speak to law and to speak to legislation, um, you know, because I, the argument, I guess, folks would, would come up with, he... Uh, there was reasonable um, suspicion on to why this should have happened and all this type of bullshit. Um, the force that they used was excessive and unnecessary. For a young man to be shot the amount of times that Desmond was shot in his home, it's, it's obscene. Um, and to me, all of this, all of these images, all these reminders, Desmond included, brings back the reality of the situation, which is, the police department is rooted in racism. It's an, it's, it's been a racist institution from the beginning of, of its implementation, right? We know this. This is fact. This is fact. Absolutely. They were slave catchers. They were part of the KKK. Why in the world would we think that there's no implications of racism in this when we constantly see police fearing for their lives? Um, when they're encountered with a black individual, even one that's on the ground, even one that's in the most, um, uh, you know, vulnerable position ever on their backs with their hands up in the air, um, to get shot like Charles Kinsey was, um, on his back with his hands up in the air. I mean, there, there's a clear thread of fear towards blackness, right? And so um, just to go back to um, some of the things that have shifted and, um, you know, the folks working in Justice for Desmond that have been doing the work for years and years definitely can speak to this um, in more depth than I can. Um, but I do know that there was an Assembly Bill. Um, so it's Assembly Bill 392. Um, it went into effect January 1st, 2020. And that bill was created to stop officer, officers from using deadly force unnecessarily, as in Desmond's case. Right. So everyone has um, access to reading that bill. Everyone has access to Chico Police Department's current policy manual. And if you look at the law and if you look at Chico Police Department's manual, they are not compliant with the law. So for those of you that are law-abiding citizens and believe in um, the U.S. and believe in the importance of legislation, your police department here is not abiding the law. They're non-compliant with the law. Um, and so Chico PD hired a company called Lexapol to create their policy for them. The ACLU has determined that Lexapol's um version of policy is not compliant with AB 392. So what does that tell us? Chico police sought, you know, and I use air quotes, sought to um, change their policy. And they use this company that has been known to shift and tweak and turn things so that it's not for the people. 
and their version is still not compliant. I urge everyone to go and look at AB 392 and look at Chico Police Department's current policy manual. It's non-compliant. So we have a police department that is murdered and brutalized and continues to target and attack black folks, people of color, marginalized people, and they're not compliant with law. Unacceptable. It's unacceptable. It is an egregious um, misuse of power and it's illegal, right? So um, I, I want to say all of all of what's been happening, I'm trying to figure out where to allocate my energies and what to do. And I reflect on my ancestors. When I see these videos, I think about my ancestors. I think about the pain and the trauma and the um, attempt to degrade and and reduce their dignity. I think about that every time I see someone that looks like me being brutalized by cops. Um, I think about that all the time. And then I think about um, my parents, my parents' parents, my parents' parents' parents, my parents' 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 parents, parents, all of those that fought and they risked their lives and they, they worked their asses off to organize and to get things, excuse me, changed. The people are powerful. This is meant, the police work for us, right? Right. All of these people work for us. We pay their paychecks and they're not following the law and they're brutalizing us. So we have to recognize collectively that we do have power and we have power to, to demand change. And so the call of action right now is for us to make these demands. And you know, I think sometimes being in a place like Chico, I know for myself, because I'm, I'm, I'm not from here, I you know, moved here from New York, I was living in Oakland for a while, it can feel very isolating here, especially as a black woman. Um, and so the question is, what can I do here? What can I do to Chico, in Chico, right? Right. And for all of those, for all of you that are in that kind of, that same kind of boat, even if you're not black, right? Because I know there's very few of you here that are black. For all of you, if you're outraged by this, as you should be as a human being, contact city council and demand that they immediately take action on modifying Chico Police Department's manual to be in compliance with AB 392. They need to remove language that uh, includes objectively reasonable in describing the use of deadly force. They need to remove language that states... Um, uh, reasonable in using deadly force from their policy, and they have to replace it with, lang- with language that declares the deadly force is necessary, right? And that includes that the officers have evaluated the situation. This is the law. This is the law, and and they are not abiding by the law. Um, we also demand the immediate firing of the officers that killed Desmond Phillips and that they're charged with murder. They murdered this young man. And they're still patrolling the streets. They're still um, threatening uh, the Phillips family. They're still threatening and targeting marginalized folks, black folks. They're, they're doing that every day. These same police officers that killed this young man. Um, so one of the things I find very interesting, Chico Police Department receives more than a half of the city's budget. That's our taxpaying funds. And Chico Police Department gets more than a half. Um, we demand defunding of the Chico Police Department and that our tax dollars be invested in our community versus a militant and corrupt and bullying and racist police department. Um, 
Chico Police Department needs to have stronger training. They routinely target and use excessive, excessive and unnecessary force, particularly on uh, people of color. So we demand implicit racial bias training for all Chico Police Departments. They get six months of training. That's absurd. Absolutely. The money money spent on the Chico Police Department must prioritize their training and accountability, not weaponizing them as if they're preparing for war, not, you know, giving them SUVs. I've never seen so many huge SUV vehicles for cops in my entire life, and I lived in the city. This is insane. They're patrolling around in their huge vehicles. They're buying up weaponized uh, uh, um, weapons, uh, militant weapons. I mean, this is absurd. Where is the money going towards? We want it for the people, not for this police department who's racist, who are murderers. Um, I'd I'd like to also add, again, I really want to lift up um, the organizers with Justice for Desmond um, in that they've created a, a Facebook page. I urge everyone to check out their Facebook page. I urge um, folks to email city councilors. There's all of this information is there. There's a copy and paste email that you can uh, send to city council members. Um, But I also encourage folks to really look at this and to really feel this, that this is happening in this community. It's not just happening in Minneapolis. It's not just happening in L.A. It's not just happening in Oakland. It's not just happening in New York. It's happening in this small city that we want to say is quaint and is lovely and all of this shit. It's fine. You know, it's a fine city. Don't get me wrong. And there's a lot of problems. Let's we, the bubble has to be burst. This is what's happening here. And if those of you listening, I mean, come on. If you are at all interested in your children and your children's children living in a better situation, um, in a more just and righteous situation, you'll use your voice. You'll use your time to to support this cause because. Getting justice for Desmond Phillips um, is a part of the the huge macro culture that you know we're we're collectively trying to um, rise up against and to to challenge and to change radically change. Um, so please check out their website. Please donate um, to the Phillips family. Uh, their fundraising. Um, there has to be justice. There has to be accountability. And when there isn't, it it completely shatters the whole facade of what this country claims to stand for. Um, I I personally am tired. I'm hurting. I'm sick. I'm not sleeping well. Um, this is this is a human problem. This is a human problem. We are human, and we're being treated like we're not human. And I mean, enough, enough is enough. You know, my, my ancestors lost their lives, lost their names, lost their language, lost their culture so that I could be here. And I am here. And there are many other black folks that are here. And this community has to shift its perspective. This community has to embrace, welcome, listen to those of us that feel, and those of us that are marginalized, not only here, but in the greater um, U.S. landscape. 
Well, thank you so much, Danielle. I really appreciate it, and I I know how hard this is. Well, I don't know how hard this is, but I can I can hear your pain. I can hear your suffering, and I know it's not easy to. It can't be easy to talk about this at, at great length like this. And I, I I thank you so much for what you're doing. Um, I I know that um, Rain um, and Surge showing up for racial justice um, has. A, a good standing um, as um, a valuable ally within the work that Justice for Desmond has been doing for the past three years. Um, I will include as many links as possible um, to the to um, AB three ninety two and all the other various aspects of this that you've mentioned, Danielle. Um, I just want to. I'm sure that we we could go on so. <laughs> for so long, but we, I, I can hear that you only have so much energy at this point, um, and I don't want to do any damage or anything, but, um, I, I just want to leave with what, in Chico in particular, you know, in, in this, in this need to radically burst the bubble, um, what are the particular challenges that come up, and, how, what, what, what do black folks need to be able to do this safely, I guess is the best way I can phrase that question. Mm. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, I know I can't speak on black, uh, the entirety of black folks, but, um, it's it's a very interesting thing um, to be a part of organizing here and showing up here and to be met with threats of death. Um, that is, it. It's not unfamiliar for me to recognize that there's inherent danger in speaking up and speaking out. Um, typically, in my experience, that's been from the police. Um, that's been they've been more of the threat and the fear. Um, you know, tear gassing us and shooting us with rubber bullets and such. But in this community, it, it's really um, citizens that are threatening us for speaking up and speaking out and crying out for justice. So um, that's and I want I want people to be aware it's not the hill people, as some people have called it. It's not people coming just coming down from other towns. It's your neighbor. You know, it's your coworker. It's people that live on your cul-de-sac. You know, it's people in this community that have been threatening. So um, it's important that we come out in large numbers and that people recognize that black bodies in particular are more at risk in those kinds of settings. So being vigilant when you're out protesting, um, looking out for your um, you know, your black homie or, you know, co-protester. Um, and this, this I'm speaking more to, to white folks. It's important to keep that in mind that our bodies are more at risk in those kinds of environments. And so, um, you know, those are, those that are allies really looking to, to keep that in mind and to protect, um, those of us that are more vulnerable. Um, and also just kind of knowing, who you're speaking with about um, certain events and things like that, because, um, you know, this is, this is real. And um, 
people don't want their bubble burst. And, and that's a real huge threat to folks to, to have their bubble burst. Um, so much so that they would threaten life, obviously. So, yeah. Thank, uh, thank you so much, Danielle. I really appreciate it. Um, I, thank you, Nicholas. I, 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 I would like to, um, talk with you more at some point when, 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 hopefully when things have gotten better or even if they haven't, um, to just give this as much attention as it deserves, um, because it's, yeah, um, but, but thank you so much, and if there's anything I personally can do to help things along, um, I want to do whatever I can to help, and I know there are, there are those out there listening and those out there in the community that want to do that as well. Thank you, Nick, and, and thank you for all of those that are seeking to, to be allies. Um, you know, listen to your black friend, listen to your friend as a person of color, allow them the floor. Um, I, I really think listening in, in any regard is really how we, um, um, speaking out and listening is, is how we start to dismantle that. So thank yeah. you for doing this, um, and for getting this message out. It's, trust me when I say it's the very least I can do, and I, I, I feel bad for only being able to do this <laughs> um uh, one one last thing um sure. i don't want to cause too many problems um here within the activism community but it it felt to me and if i'm at a place here please tell me and please correct me but it felt to me like there was some action being taken earlier this week that was done without the consent or the consultation of the black community. Um, and to, to me, I, I feel like in, I feel like any action that, that is taken right now should be, should be all about that community. Is there any anything you can say to that to that point or that challenge that the activism community has faced here? You know, I I would agree that it's it's extremely important that the voices of Black folks are heard when we are talking about uh, seeking justice for for Black lives and Black bodies and Black livelihood. Um, I also do recognize that there are many um, non-black people that have been involved in that fight for many years. And I deeply value um, and appreciate everything that they're doing. Um, so, um, yeah, I do think it's important to uplift black folks. And I also find it important to have uh, anyone who is willing and able to be a part of the movement while simultaneously uplifting the needs, the voices, the experiences of black folks, um, they're all good in my book, right? And I think that last piece can be a little bit tricky for, um, for some. Um, so yeah, I absolutely think that white and non-black allies are necessary. All, all of us are necessary in this movement. And it is also necessary to be consciously 
um, uplifting the voices, the needs, the concerns, the values, the experiences of black folks. Well, thank you again so much, Danielle, and I, I hope we can talk in the future, and I'll, I'll be doing whatever I can to assist in any way possible. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much, Nicholas. Appreciate it. <laughs>